Thanks, Johnny. Uh, on your service sheets, you've got an outline for the talk uh, on the back, which you might find helpful in following where we're going. Uh, let me pray for us as we come to look at God's Word together. Our Father, we thank you that we can meet together this morning. Thank you that we can open up your Word, read it in our own heart language. And thank you in this passage in Matthew's Gospel, we, we hear your voice declaring the identity of Jesus to us. Help us to have ears to hear, hearts that are open and ready to, uh, to take in what you're saying, to understand and put into practice what you teach us. We pray for the glory of your name. Amen. Uh, well, let me ask, uh, who do you follow? Who do you follow? Who do you look to for leadership and guidance in your life? How, how do you make the big decisions in life? Where do you look to for guidance? Uh, we all follow someone, even if it's ourselves or our kind of accumulated wisdom from all sorts of different places. But I want to ask, what credentials do those leaders have? Uh, what credentials do you have to provide reliable leadership? for your own life. This passage in Matthew 3 is about the leader that God has provided for us, the Lord Jesus. And I hope that we'll see this morning that his leadership is like no other. His leadership is right and his leadership is good. And the only response to the Lord Jesus that makes sense is to turn from any other rival ruler to turn and to bow in submission to his loving leadership. Second introductory question on your sheets. Why on earth is Jesus being baptized? If you were here last week, you might well be thinking, this is a bit odd. And certainly John the Baptist thought it was a bit odd because baptism was something for sinners. As we saw last week, those coming to the Jordan River came confessing their sins. It was a baptism of repentance. John, last week, spoke about the one coming after him. Have a look back to verse 11. John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And clearly, Matthew wants us to see that Jesus is that person that John was speaking about, the one so much greater who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so it is odd that Jesus comes to John to be baptized. It makes sense that John tried to deter him. Verse 14, uh, I need to be baptized by you, says John, and you're coming to me? John is saying, Jesus, what are you doing in my place? And what am I doing in yours? And yet Jesus lines up with the sinners on the bank of the river, lines up with the moral failures coming to be baptized. You see, part of the significance of Jesus' baptism is all to do with solidarity. He shows solidarity with us. He identifies himself with sinners. And he says that this is necessary to fulfill all righteousness. It's part of God's plan for Jesus that he is identified with sinners. So the baptism, Jesus' baptism, is about his solidarity with us. But as we'll see, it's also about his commissioning as the leader of God's people. Third introductory question. 
Do you want to hear a word from God? People sometimes say, I'd love to hear God speak to me. Maybe they know someone who's had that experience and they want it for them themselves. When you read through the Bible, it's actually very rare that God speaks in an audible voice. Only three or four times in the New Testament. But this is one of those rare occasions when God speaks in an audible voice. This is a, a public announcement and should mean that we sit up on the edge of our seats and pay attention. What is it that God wants us to hear? What does God want us to know? And we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning looking at what God says in verse 17. What does God want us to know? This is my son. Above all else, God wants us to tell us who Jesus is. You see, friends, that is what we need to hear this morning and every morning. More than where God wants us to live, more than what job God wants us to have, we need to know who Jesus is, that Jesus is God's beloved son, that he is God's anointed king, that he is God's suffering servants. And when we understand who Jesus is, when Jesus has the rightful place in our lives, well, then we'll get the right perspective on everything else. So we're going to work through those three points on your sheets. Firstly, Jesus is God's beloved son. The father says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Jesus is the eternal son of the father the one who lives in closest relationship with the Father. It says in John chapter 1, Jesus is the one who lives in the bosom of the Father. Isn't that a beautiful picture? And we see here at Jesus' baptism all three members of the Trinity. The Spirit descends on the Son and the Father speaks. This is what Christians believe about God. God is three persons united in love. And the words that the Father speaks are reminiscent of Genesis 22. If you know that story of God telling Abraham to take his son, his only son, whom he loves. Well, here Jesus is identified as God's son, whom he loves, in whom he delights. And so, the one who lines up with the moral failures on the bank of the river is none other than God the Son. As Glenn Scrivener says, Jesus joins us in our mess so we can join him in his family. And it's significant that it is at this point, at the point of his baptism, as Jesus identifies with sinners, that we hear this commendation from the Father. See, God is not ashamed that Jesus has become one of us. It's not that Jesus has been kicked out of the Trinity. On the contrary, God is delighted this is my son, this Jesus who identifies with sinners. I'm so proud of him, my boy. Just look at him. Isn't he wonderful? And as we read on in Matthew's gospel, as we see Jesus teaching, healing, suffering, dying, we need to remember his identity proclaimed at his baptism. This, this is God's beloved son teaching, healing, suffering, dying. Secondly, Jesus is God's anointed king. I wonder if you noticed, as Johnny read those three passages, how the words of God here echo the words that we had in Isaiah 42. 
Isaiah 42, if you want to turn back, you can. Um, Verse 1 says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. Very similar words, but there's one significant difference. In Isaiah, God says, here is my servant. But at the baptism, he says, this is my son. And as well as pointing to Jesus' identity as God the Son, this also points to Jesus' identity as God's anointed king. We're going to take a sidebar for three minutes. Uh, going to kind of go into the parking bay for a few minutes. If you want to switch off, uh, that's fine, and I'll tell you when we're going to get back onto the main road. Uh, but just a little sidebar. Everyone knows that Christians... Everyone's paying more attention now. Um, everyone knows that Christians believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but that title can be used in two different ways. Sometimes it means that Jesus is God the Son. That's what we've been thinking about in our first point, that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But Son of God can also be used as a title for God's King. So in Psalm 2, that we had read, And we'll take a look at that in a minute. God says to his anointed king, you are my son. Now, that doesn't mean the king was divine. It was saying something about God's relationship with his king. He's a son to me. So I think I'm right in saying that most of the time when the New Testament says Jesus is the son of God, it's not actually saying something about his divinity. It's saying something about his role, his office as God's anointed king the king of God's people. And so, there's a sense in which God the Son became the Son of God. Does that make sense? Jesus, who's existed for all eternity as God the Son, became Messiah, the Son of God. Now, sidebar to the sidebar, do you remember in 1 Samuel, when the prophet Samuel is sent to Jesse's family And uh, God tells him that David is going to be the new king of Israel. And Samuel anoints David with oil. And we're told from that day on, David, uh, the spirit came powerfully on David. Now, at that point in David's life, he's been anointed, he's received the spirit, but he's not yet been crowned as king. And I think that parallels Jesus. That here at his baptism, he's anointed, he receives the spirit but he's not yet been crowned. That will come through his death, resurrection, ascension. Okay, back onto the main road. You can wake up if you have a little break. Welcome back. Um, We're going to take a quick look at Psalm 2, and it'd be great to turn back there, page 841 in the Red Bibles. There are four sections to this psalm. They're called stanzas. I have no idea why. Um, But in each of the four sections, there's a different subject. We're going to race our way through. So section one, we're told the nations of the world, the kings and the rulers are uniting together against the Lord and his anointed king. So verse one, why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? Good question. And we've seen in Matthew something of this opposition already in King Herod so threatened by the arrival of the Messiah, God's anointed king, that he resorts to violence. Okay, section two, God responds to this rebellion. Verse four, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. 
The Lord scoffs at them. It's as if God looks out at all the superpowers of the world, marshalling their forces against him and his king, and he laughs at them. How puny, how pathetic to try and stand against the Almighty. He rebukes them in his anger, verse 6, saying, I have installed my king. Implication, you, you can oppose him, but you will never dethrone him. Opposition to this king is futile. God has installed him, established him. He cannot be rivaled. Section 3, verse 7, the king himself speaks, I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. As we've seen already in Matthew, this ruler will not just be the king of Israel. He'll be the king and the judge of the whole world. And therefore, section 4, verses 10 to 12, the only response that makes sense, therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, serve the Lord with fear, kiss his son. In other words, submit to the son, to God's anointed king. Surrender to him, or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction. In other words, give up your rebellion, turn to him, Put your trust in him, for blessed are all who take refuge in him. Jesus is God's anointed king, and if you've been with us since Advent, you'll know that Matthew has been laboring this point. Uh, just think where we've come. Remember chapter 1, tracing Jesus' ancestry back to King David, showing that Jesus is God's... That Dave, Jesus is David's greater son, uh, the Messiah, the long-awaited Savior King. Chapter 2, Jesus is the King of the Jews, the King of the world, whose birth is announced in the stars. And the Magi come as the first representatives of the nations, bringing tribute, paying homage to their King. Last week, John announces the imminent arrival of God's king and calls people to repent, to turn around. And now in his baptism, Jesus is commissioned as God's chosen and anointed king. So who do you follow? Who do you serve? And what leadership credentials do they have? Jesus is God's man, God's chosen king. His leadership is right. He's our rightful ruler. He hasn't been elected and he'll never be dethroned. The only wise response is to turn your life around and to keep turning your life around, as we heard last week, to surrender your whole life to King Jesus. It's the right thing to do. It's the right way to live. But it's also the blessed way to live. Did you notice at the end of Psalm 2, it speaks about the blessing of this king's rule. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. In our third point. Jesus is God's beloved son. He's God's anointed king. Thirdly, finally, he is God's suffering servant. We need to turn back to Isaiah to see what this servant will do. So chapter 42. one one two five in the Red Bibles. Chapter 42 of Isaiah. Uh, let me read again. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. 
I'll put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. So this servant is chosen by God, delighted in by God. He receives the spirit of God. What is his character? What's the character of this servant? We're told, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. It speaks of his gentleness, his tenderness. Can you imagine a a bruised reed, maybe bent over? Maybe that's how you feel. Well, Jesus isn't going to snap that reed off. He's going to bind it up. Think of a, a smoldering wick, a, a candle that's, that's burnt down and, and the wick is smoldering. Jesus isn't going to snuff it out. He's going to nurture it, fan it back to flame. What will the servant do? Three times we're told he will bring justice. He will establish justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. It's the word for righteousness. And in Isaiah, it's talking primarily about making people right with God. That's what this servant will do. He'll establish justice. He'll make people right with God. How's he going to achieve that? Well, we need to read on because Isaiah 42 is the first of four servant songs in Isaiah. And the last of those songs comes in chapter 53. You might want to turn to it. Chapter 53, page 1146, or 7, 1147. Verse 4, we're told, The servant took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. It goes on in verse 11 to say, After he has suffered, he'll see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. And he will bear their iniquities. So as God introduces his son to the world, he uses the language of the suffering servants. Jesus is God's anointed king, but he's also a king who came to serve and to suffer in our place. He came to bind up the brokenhearted, to carry our burden, to stand in our place, to die in our place on the cross, taking the punishment that our sin deserves to make us right with God, to justify us before a holy God. And this explains more fully what Jesus is doing in getting baptized. Remember John effectively saying, Jesus, what are you doing in my place? And what am I doing in yours? Well, it's a picture of what Jesus came to do. Jesus is treated as a sinner, so you and I can be treated as sons. So you and I can hear the Father say, you are my son, my child, whom I love With you, I am well pleased. Genesis 22, God says to Abraham, Now I know that you love me, because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love. And as we look at Jesus, 
dying in our place as the suffering servant, we can say to God, now we know without any doubt that you love us because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love. So who do you follow? And what credentials do they have? Jesus is God's beloved son, his anointed king, his suffering servants. His leadership is is right. We're futile to rebel, to oppose him, but his leadership is also good. He's the most wonderful leader and Lord. He's been my Lord for 30 years. He's never let me down. Jesus is the Lord who, if you follow him, he'll fulfill you. If you fail him, he'll forgive you. Shall we pray? This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Father, thank you for these remarkable words as you proclaim to us the identity of Jesus. Thank you that you've revealed him to be the anointed king, your beloved son, and the suffering servants. Thank you for showing us this morning that his leadership is, is right, it's, it's true, we're, we're foolish to resist it, and yet his leadership is also so good that he comes in gentleness and weakness, in solidarity with us. He stands shoulder to shoulder with us. He takes our place, suffers for us on the cross. Thank you for such a wonderful Lord and leader. And we pray, help us this morning and every morning to submit and surrender our whole lives to his wonderful, loving leadership. Amen.